0: Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is Three, two, one. The Buck Sexton Show.
2: All right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hub. We're joined by our friend, our pal, Emily Zanotti. She's a political editor at Heat Street. She's E-M-Z-A-N-O-T-T-I on Twitter. HeatStreet.com is the website. Emily is the guest. What's up, lady?
1: Not much. How's it going? You know,
2: I had like a solid, uh, a solid hour to celebrate Valentine's Day last night after radio. So that was, you know, because it's late. So I feel like my (laughs) Valentine's Day was not quite where where it should be this year. But I'm, I'm I'm working on it. How about you?
1: It was pretty good. But I mean, we don't usually do a whole lot. We actually went to Hooters and got chicken wings. (laughs) So <laughs> it's <was> fairly unromantic. <laughs>
2: Hooters, the 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 bar and chicken wing establishment, uh, most notable for the scantily clad ladies.
1: Yes, I quite enjoy their chicken wings, so I can handle these. The I, I,
2: I do short. hear people say, and they don't they don't say it to be funny. They say the chicken wings are actually delicious. Is that true?
1: They are. They are. They're some of the best. Okay.
2: Nice. All right. I'll take. It. I, I as a celiac, it's hard for me to find chicken wings that aren't.
1: Doused uh, in
2: flour. yeah but anyway yeah i know right messes up yeah. messes up my whole jam okay let's get it let's get into some stuff from heatstreet.com here um let's start with club privileges mar-a-lago members get treated to classified briefing on north korea by trump and the japanese pm what happened here
1: so back over the weekend north korea fired a ballistic missile And this all happened while Donald Trump was eating dinner with the Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe at Mar-a-Lago. And so they had to rush in, give him a short briefing, get him to a press conference, give him paperwork on all of this. And so if you were at Mar-a-Lago on Sunday night, you got this really amazing front row seat to everything that was happening. So you got to see the national security apparatus Basically,
2: in action. Yeah. Okay. They yeah. say, of course, that it was just the media response, and they didn't discuss anything classified. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But the other side of it is just, too that that discussions in real time, what's classified and what's not, is often in the in the uh, well, I guess in the eye of the beholder. Maybe it's in the ear of the listener. But uh, you know, I've never been to Mar-a-Lago. Sad. Sad exclamation point.
1: <laughs> it's here. Here, have you what is two hundred thousand dollars to get in? No, I've never been. It's kind of uh, in my next life. I'm coming back fancy. Do, but... That's
2: how. Um, if if I get reincarnated, I want to come back fancy. I want. I want to be one of these Mar-a-Lago people.
1: I want to be one of those people who's just like, you know, what? I have two hundred thousand dollars laying around. I'm going to join a golf club.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I would agree with that. <laughs> Instead of one of those people, it's like, can I go to the doctor or should I just? you know right. should i just cut off whatever i need to cut off off my my toe myself you know cuz it's expensive to go to the doctor um Am all I right let's go to yeah. <laughs> well,
3: yeah
2: it's like the i mean the emergency room the copays high i might have to yeah, right. i might have to give this one a few more days today all right so uh let's go to the next one here yale to host black panther party to celebrate black history month really yale yes. really
1: really yale <laughs> Especially considering they're in New Haven, which was actually host to one of the Black Panthers' most notorious criminal trials. They actually went after the police in New Haven, Connecticut. But apparently, we have 50 years removed. So now the social justice warriors at Yale would like to use Black History Month to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Black Panthers. And they even traveled to Oakland. They went to a Black Panther conference where they met a bunch of Black Panthers and learned all about how they inspired social justice. And then they came back to Yale and they're going to throw this party and then present their findings. So uh, it should be a rousing good time. I'm I'm not sure what kind of snacks you serve at a Black Panther party, but it's probably going to be good.
2: Are, are you up on the Yale renaming Calhoun, John Calhoun dormitory?
1: Yeah, it's a Grace Hopper you dormitory. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: What are they going to call it?
1: Grace Hopper Hall.
2: Oh. After
1: a um, uh, I... famous female uh, scientist and mathematician, I believe.
2: You know, if it's such an affront to to dignity and to social justice to have a, 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 a dorm named after somebody who was pro-slavery and— you know, I, it's a private institution, and if they don't want to name it after a, uh, a slave, you know, but then, of course, we got to know what about the Washington Monument, and I, I know this creates a whole bunch of things, yeah. but this is a private institution. They, they can call it whatever they want to call it. I've got no beef with that. I just do think it's it's kind of amusing that Elihu Yale was not just a, a, a slavery advocate, but a slave trader, in fact, himself, one who procured and then sold human beings as property, and yet I don't think they're going to change the name of Yale University. I, I i I think they're gonna hold on to the uh the value of that has been created for the big Y yale i I don't think they're gonna yeah. let that go despite the social <laughs> justice implications
1: that seems to have escaped all of these conversations but I've been covering this story about Calhoun Hall for I think about eight months now because it's been going back and forth. They had a stained glass window that depicted john calhoun that got broken because people were offended just by seeing it and they were going wasn't back it a, a, a custodian
2: case. or whatever the proper term yeah. is it was, it was like as an employee right yeah
1: it was a like a restaurant worker like somebody who serves in the cafeteria oh. okay yeah and so it was this big broke deal a stained glass window
2: it, that's pretty that's pretty aggressive you know those things are usually pretty expensive from what i understand
1: and it was one of a kind it had been in Calhoun oh. Hall since the late 1840s. So he pretty much broke a priceless piece of art.
2: Yeah, but he did it for he he did it as an SJW. So that means it's okay. By the way, we need to come up with a better term than social justice warrior because there's nothing warrior-like about these people.
1: We're going we call them? Social
2: justice whiners. We need to come up with something.
1: <laughs> something, yeah. Because I can't imagine that these guys are really that militant, honestly.
2: Yeah, I mean, when was when was the last time that you know we we got a somebody got together a bunch of uh, a bunch of Army Rangers and, and they were protesting you know transgender bathroom rights somewhere? I'm not aware of that ever happening. Those are actual warriors. I feel like social justice warriors. We need to come up with a a new term for them because they are not warriors. Nonetheless, I digress. I don't think Yale's going to change its name either. And no. there's that. Well, I wanted to. Well, yeah, I know. Amarosa. She's yeah. gotten a little, a little feisty with reporters. What happened here? This is also on heatstreet.com, everybody. Great website. If you haven't checked it out, I really recommend it. Go ahead.
1: So Omarosa has kind of a reputation of being a hothead. She won The Apprentice back, I think, in the first or second season. And she's had this reputation for being a little aggressive. And she and a White House reporter uh, – have had a long-standing dispute all the way through the Trump campaign. She and this reporter have been going at it, I believe, since March or April of last year. And it finally came to blows, sort of, right outside of the press secretary's office at the White House. So she and this woman got into a screaming match over this woman's coverage of the trump administration that she was in the tank for hillary and then amarosa apparently said that the trump administration has been keeping dossiers on journalists including this woman so it, it was kind of an odd thing to happen but uh, the two of them probably need to settle their differences maybe i don't know does amarosa have an administ-
2: she have an administration job i wasn't even aware of what she was doing
1: yeah, she's a communications officer in the White House press office.
2: Wow, wow! What do you think about all the infighting between that's at least being reported on between the what is it the, the Bannon uh, faction and the Priebus yeah. faction in the Trump? Do you, do you think that's legit? Or do you think this is just the the media acting like a bunch of sixth grade girls trying to start trying to start drama?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's definitely some animosity between the two factions. They don't like each other. They didn't work well together on the campaign. But at the same time, I think the media just really likes imagining that the Trump White House is like two seconds from coming to blows every day when they get out of bed. They just put on their armor and go straight to work and just want to beat each other up.
2: Yeah. I'm I'm getting the sense that they do not particularly like the Trump administration. (laughs) I think that's, I think that is fair to point out. Um, Do you, do you have, what's, what's your take on the whole Flynn resignation by the way I've been asking everybody who comes on. I'm just wondering, what do you, you know, big deal. What what do you think?
1: I feel like it's a big deal, but I feel like it's caused a lot more trouble than it initially resolved. I think this guy wasn't particularly well liked from the beginning Uh, But now we have questions about whether the administration knew about Flynn for an extended period of time, whether they were also communicating. And then people are going on television shows and trying to make excuses and it's just getting muddier and muddier. So it's it's an interesting situation to me. It's not something I've encountered with a with a White House before.
2: Oh, and and back to uh, stuff on your on your Heat Street on the website. I was looking for this piece before. I want to make sure I got the details right. This isn't yours. One of your colleagues, uh, Lucas uh, Michelionis, was. Does that sound? Does that, yeah. <laughs> am I close? Okay, close enough. Yeah. So Micheleone? there's a a, yeah. a young woman in Brazil who was approached by uh, uh, approached by some Brazilian women who are who were black, according to the story here and they told her Mm -hmm. that she's white and she's not allowed to wear a turban on her head, that it's an appropriation of culture. Right. Uh, They did not stop to think that this is a young woman who is going through chemotherapy and is completely bald because of the side effects, the very debilitating side effects of chemotherapy. I feel like normal people read this and they say to themselves, social justice warriors (laughs) are... I know, i got to come in. Social justice whiners. I'm going to start. We're going to start a campaign right here. Social justice (laughs) whiners are... um, Uh, are are, are out of their minds and they actually, they they say and do just jerk, jerk like and hurtful things because they're so enamored with their own self-righteousness. But I think so social justice whiners read this kind of a story and they say to themselves, you know, in every, in every war, there are casualties and sometimes we're going to hurt people's feelings for the cause of social. So I don't think they're chastened by this sort of thing at all. I think a normal human being would be, would be horrified to be around this, to see this, to hear this kind of an exchange but I feel like social justice whiners, they're like, eh, you know, it's not perfect. And we're, we got a war to fight here for social justice. That's my take on it, at least.
1: It's been interesting watching a lot of these stories happen in the last couple of weeks because on Facebook, people who I think would normally be called a snowflake have started to defend themselves and are starting to say, well, you know, it's great to be a snowflake. I'm unique and there's only one like me and I am just so different from everybody and you have to stand out from the crowd so they're kind of pulling it back and saying you know what i'm proud to be a social justice warrior and if i'm wrong then i don't want to be right and it's it's a really strange dynamic because most of the stories we hear are like this poor girl in brazil who gets basically accosted in the middle of the street and told to take her turban off because she's culturally appropriating someone else's tradition i guess and that seems to be more of what i also not not really positive movement
2: (laughs) yeah i mean not not to not to get it not to treat this like it should be treated with any or not not to discuss this like it should be treated with 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 any uh respect or or seriousness (laughs) in the sense that this is the way the conversation should go but even if one was to have a conversation with the cultural appropriation of a turban you cover a lot of territory that way. There are there are a lot of different folks that I think could make yeah. a claim to that's ours. I mean, it, 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 this is not like a you know, this is like somebody saying you know a T-shirt you can't wear that it's cultural appropriation. A lot of people wear T-shirts,
1: right? And of course, every time you decide to make fun of a poor girl with cancer and, and push push against her. You're taking the spotlight away from real incidents of misogyny and sexism and racism and actual cultural appropriation. It kind of muddies the water so you don't actually know when you have a serious incident. And that makes it a lot harder for people who really are opposed to these things to do their job.
2: Yep. All right, Emily Zanotti, political editor at <laughs> HeatStreet.com. Uh, everyone should go check out Heatstreet's It's a great site. Emily, thank you so much for joining. Come back soon. I will. All right team we'll be right back.
3: The Buck Sexton Show.
0: Discover more at the blaze.com/radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24 7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results.
2: The Sex Show. I, I see this stuff and it, it gets me uh, very upset for obvious reasons because I have to live with the constant uh, anxiety as a as a broadcaster or somebody who does uh, these days five hours a day of radio um, and also goes on TV to talk about things. the The terrifying moment, the gut wrenching, I'm going to uh, go and and toss my cookies on the floor moment. That would come from saying something that you don't intend to be controversial, but you you just say something and it comes out the wrong way or it can be misinterpreted or you stumble or whatever. Right. Um, I've, this is something that anybody who, especially when you're talking, I don't get to read off of a prompter and just, I I, I don't have a a team in that sense that's preparing my, sorry, New York City, you got the fire truck or whatever there. but I'm just speaking extemporaneously for hours and hours and hours. I'm, I speak when I'm tired. I speak when I've you know got relationship problems. I speak when I'm sick. I speak when I'm uh, you know I'm distracted. I, I can't always hear, and I got to respond to comments. And you're always worried, you know, like the audio is going to cut out on a caller, or or cut out on my end, and he's going to say, yeah, and that's why you know you know that, that's why I joined the KKK. And I'm like, oh well, thank you so much for your call. So you know, I just you don't know, right? I mean, you're always, you're always trying to be aware of this and you, at some point you just say, well, well, you know, crap, what can you do? Just got to just gotta roll the dice, just got to do your thing. Um, but I have a tremendous sympathy for people who, especially when, they're, when they're, they've done nothing wrong and the social justice whiners come after them and this is a, a case, I saw this, and I meant to talk about it on the show before, you've got ESPN is being sued by uh, Doug Adler, because at the Australian Open he said that uh, African American female tennis superstar Venus Williams was using a quote guerrilla style of play, and th- he meant, and uh, well, I heard the I heard the comment in context as well when it happened. He clearly, to me and to him, meant. G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, guerrilla, or little war. And he, in his defense, has pointed out that Nike has a whole guerrilla tennis commercial featuring Andre Agassi. Um, and there, there are other places, too, where this has come up. Does anybody really think this guy was, was trying to use an ethnic slur against the, among the most famous tennis players in the world ever on li- a live broadcast? That that was his intent um, because this guy used a uh, uh, a homophone here. Um, he has lost his job. So there <laughs> they, they fired him. They've ruined his reputation. I, I can't imagine being this guy. And this reminds me of when that I think it was a writer for ESPN as well. Uh, wrote uh, uh, wrote chink in the armor. Now. That one is a that that one for me is a little more like, you know, you're writing, you got to look at the headline, maybe you just missed it, but speaking extemporaneously about something and saying clearly guerrilla g u e r r i l l a and getting fired for it, it's just too much. It's just too much. You know, the the sensitivity police are are really, really are police in the sense that they'll do damage to you. I mean, you'll get hurt. You know, they'll take out the batons. This isn't like you're just going to get a warning and you can apologize. It's gotten worse. It really has. It used to be that if you apologize and showed contrition, you could maybe make one of these mistakes and your career would live to fight another day. Now, if you offend an aggrieved group or you're a conservative, you're done. You're out. You're finished, uh, and this is just this is just wrong. It's just unjust. There's no no reasonable person, no reasonable jury would hear what happened here with this guy and say, yeah, he meant he meant to just throw out a racial slur on TV. He didn't mean a uh, a a sort of from all angles non traditional guerrilla g u e r r i l l a little war attack. I mean, it's just. It's a shame this is where we are, and it's a shame that every person that's trying to share thoughts and explain the world, and whether it's sports or politics or anything else, has to just live in fear of the social justice whiners uh, grabbing the pitchforks and making an example of somebody. We got
1: more
0: coming. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Is Buck Sexton
2: on the Blaze Radio Network. right, everybody. We're joined by Catherine Mangu Ward. She is Reason Magazine's editor-in-chief. Her latest piece on Reason.com is The Carrot, the Stick, and the Buggy Whip. Catherine, great to have you back. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Uh, First, let me ask, are we going to see Reason in the White House, uh, in the the West Wing, at the the press conference? Because... There's some, new, there's some new faces. Uh, a lot of the press is getting all upset about this, but the New York Post is getting questions. Town Hall's getting questions. Breitbart. Why don't we well, need some libertarian, libertarian love in there? What's going on?
3: I agree, and if you have any uh, ins with the guys vetting those credentials, tell them to take a look at our application. We, we did, uh, on this very theory, we did apply uh, to see if we could get into the room, and we certainly did not do that under the Obama administration, but it struck us as a worthwhile gamble this time around
2: yeah okay so I'm not crazy all right you know I I wish I could say I know people and you know I'll I'll email you and but I I know people but they're not gonna they're not gonna care what I say Uh, but it's something (laughs) to keep in mind here I do feel like there should be some libertarian representation in that room I think that good libertarian ideas Trump would be open to I I know that people oh he's Hitler and he's the worst but no I actually think there are some ideas that I I don't think Trump wants to I actually do we know what is his stance on weed do we know I know the classic like old libertarians and weed but I'm just wondering that's I have no idea do you know, Trump, he said we don't
3: know. Trump, we don't know a lot about. We do know what Jeff Sessions thinks about weed, though, and uh, let's just say we're Uh-oh. not inviting him to our next party.
2: Oh no, he's one of those. He's yep. like, lock him up. Well, it's a it's a gateway drug. The the, well, the, no, the marijuana is uh, is bad for you and is going to ruin your life. Yeah. That stuff.
3: I think he I think he's still pretty much at the reefer madness phase of his analysis of uh, marijuana policy. So, um, yeah, it's not too encouraging. This is the guy who said, basically, I thought the KKK was all right until I heard they smoked weed. Right. Like it's not looking good for legalization under Sessions.
2: Oh, but that was a, he was joking about that, right? Wasn't <laughs> a that, little,
3: but he was—I mean, he has a long record of of being very opposed. I mean, to not Andy that
2: that's a, not that that's propaganda. a good or funny joke. I'm saying he was kidding. It was—it wasn't like he yeah. was on the record in deposition, like, well, I was in favor of the KKK until they smoked weed. Uh, I, I yeah. think it was a very stupid joke. But yeah, okay, uh, that's a, that. Yeah, I forgot uh, the Sessions thing. I mean, he's going to be uh, on immigration. I think conservatives are going to like him, or at least Trump will like him on immigration and the Trump movement. But I, I would like to think that. That a guy like Trump, who, I mean, come on, right? Like we all, although he doesn't drink, so I don't know how much he, he doesn't drink. I'm
3: not, I'm not sure as, he's he's the party guy, the the gilded party boy that we uh, we'd like him to be in that respect.
2: Man, all the spoiled brat trustafarians that I know in New York City definitely uh, dabbled in the substances. So maybe yeah. he did, maybe he didn't. But from what we know, yeah, he he does not drink. So okay. Well, are, are there any uh, are there any ideas libertarian ideas that you do think that the administration will be favorable to or that there might even adopt in, in some of their policies or right now is it just like you don't know
3: Sure I mean let me do the obligatory uh, I am no fan of Trump uh, presses here but, he oh, no,
2: we is, knew that. Don't worry. Yeah,
3: <laughs> he is absolutely uh, saying a lot of the right things about regulation as a as a broad category. I mean, I think one of the things we knew for sure we would see under President Hillary Clinton was a, a tremendous expanse, uh, expansion of the welfare state and the regulatory state. Um, I think Trump remains to be seen on the welfare stuff. He could easily sort of go with his populist inclinations there and and leave that be or even expand it. But when it comes to regulations uh, I think that um, certainly he will be reining in his bureaucrats uh, on a bunch of different subjects and he's even promised to to take some regulations off the books that are that are harmful so uh, I always reserve judgments when politicians make promises that sound good to me because they rarely follow through but those promises at least sound good to me uh,
2: by the way y- your piece here the carrot the stick and the buggy whip um I have to say, uh, you you point you you talk about fascism and the use of fascism to describe describe Trump and and well I'll, I'll, I'll let you tell everybody what's what's the carrot the stick and the buggy whip all about here.
3: Sure. So uh, you know I think there uh, of course there's been this kind of ongoing debate about oh is Trump a fascist is he Hitler? Um, you know my conclusion <laughs> in the end is I am I am not ready to deploy that word but. The temptation to use it, uh, if you're looking from a strictly historically accurate perspective, one of the sort of prime characteristics of fascists of the 20th century was this kind of um, overly intimate relationship between big corporations and big government um, and this notion, um, which was sort of most prominent under Mussolini in Italy, that, that it is the business of the state to... Um, to bully big corporations, but then also sort of favor them when when it's perceived to be in the national interest. And that is Trump's MO. That is what we have seen from him so far, um, both in terms of his tweets, in terms of threatening um, sanctions, likely threatening canceled contracts for for people who um, provide goods and services to the U.S. government, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. The idea that Trump sees himself as the commander of the national economy for national ends uh, does not have a good historical pedigree, and people should be nervous about that.
2: But, I mean, fascism, when people think fascism, don't aren't they, they're really talking about, like, World War II fascism, right? I mean, this is—and and the moment you start to do an a, an apples-to-apples apples comparison there of— this country right now under Trump and anything that whether we're talking Mussolini or we're talking um, Hitler, uh, it seems to me to be it's no it's not useful and it's and it's not accurate and it's not fair. Well, like
3: I say, I ultimately do think for now we pull back from that term. But, you know, and, and the the overtones of overt violence sponsored by the state. Um, you know, one-party rule, nationalization of industry. I, I don't see that. I mean, I, I do agree that it is that it is not analogous to what we were seeing in the mid-20th century in terms of the, the sort of really pernicious and aggressive type of authoritarianism. But um, I do think in terms of his economic policy, there's, you know, he's very obviously going to be authoritarian and heavy-handed, particularly toward American corporations. And, you know... It's it's a worthwhile parallel to say there is a targeted ethnic group that he's, or a couple of targeted ethnic groups that he's um, blaming for some of our national ills. And again, not everybody who doesn't like Mexicans is a fascist. Saying that, you know, waters down the term and is not helpful. But, you know... It's worth keeping an ear to the ground. It's worth keeping an eye out. I'm not using the word yet, but I. As, <laughs> so, so you're, good you're, you're staffer,
2: not you're not throwing fascists in the trash, just in case you got to dust that puppy off at some point. As, and you know,
3: it. as a as a good reason staffer, I reserve the right to drop drop f bombs wherever and whenever I desire. And this particular f bomb, I'm going to keep in my back pocket.
2: Now, let me ask you: since we're since we're we're see, this is so fun to libertarians. You guys are you guys are fun at parties. You're fun on radio. You're fun on TV. Good stuff. So you have a campaign to undermine the current administration that relies upon, from what we know, and again, we have to base this on the reporting that we've seen, because I'm not still inside the government, so I can't see classified, and I don't work in the White House. So all I can do is look at what's reported in the various news outlets, using sources that either are inside of government or or more specifically in the White House, and draw conclusions from that. But here's what it seems like we know at this point. There are people that have access... To intercepted phone conversations, whether over the course of an FBI investigation, and the international phone conversation, whether over the course of an FBI investigation, or um, perhaps it's NSA, FISA related material, which would be you know, e- e- maybe even crazier, I don't know. But the moment that your phone, the, the moment that it, it is normalized in America for classified phone intercepts to be released, to the press for obvious and explicit political purposes, isn't that police state stuff? And that's actually against the Trump administration and almost certainly involves previous regime holdovers or people that just left the uh, Obama administration at the very end. So yeah, that's some police state stuff there, is it not?
3: Uh, I guess that's not the spin I would put on it. I mean, I, I think when we talk about the police state, what we mean is when... Private individuals have their communications routinely monitored and used against them by uh, by political players. To say, okay, well, when people are people are making phone calls as agents of the government on lines that they know to be recorded or suspect to be recorded, um, you know, when that when that information then gets out. You know, it might not be a good thing. We might not say that is the sign of a healthy republic, but I don't think that's quite what we mean by the term police state.
2: Well, it's it's what's done. In, I mean, when, I'm not saying that means we're in a police state. I'm saying it's a police state tactic. And I mean, I know that this is done in in other countries, where as it, through the course of intel, national security intelligence collection, you know, the the, the party in power. Will all of a sudden in the press, the party in power will release to either state media or, or not even necessarily state media, just a friendly a friendly outlet that wants the scoop, just embarrassing information that they have on the other political party, someone in it. Uh, that this is that's not you are libertarian. That's not really troubling to you. I'm, I'm actually, I am actually, I hold you in very high esteem. I am like a little surprised though. That doesn't really trouble you.
3: Well, I do think it depends on whether someone is acting as a private citizen or as an agent of the state. I am perfectly happy to monitor the goings on of people who wield power over me and I think that that should be as transparent as possible. Again, in this particular case, the the massive amount of politically motivated leaking, you know, I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I do think that there's a difference between right, But is it a bad thing? You're not political- saying
2: it's a bad thing either, which is where I think we're having a disconnect. You, you don't think that's a bad uh, thing? I, I find I it very know. troubling. I think
3: there's I don't think it's a new thing that rival political factions leak damaging information about each other during transitions. Like it's a little more blatant this time around. Well, for but, like, sure. but, but, but I
2: mean, Assuming it's FISA, and we don't know that. But if it's Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act inform- information, I mean, this is top secret, and it's 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 very sensitive, both from the sources and methods, and a civil liberties perspective. I mean, because a lot of stuff can get, get pulled up in FISA. If you can just have fishing expeditions where people can look through FISA and pull any information they want that happens to get swept up in that and use it in the press for political purposes. I, that's, I, I, I find it very disturbing. You clearly do not. You're a little more, but I'm not sure also Flynn acting as an agent of the government. He, he wasn't, I mean, if he wasn't officially in a government capacity at the time he made the calls, but still, uh, I know what you're saying. I mean, that's, that's a little bit of like, eh, you know, that's a little, maybe a uh, gray area, but still it's, I, I find that very troubling. You're not, I thought, I thought we'd have a libertarian I, I mean, come together moment here. We're like, yeah, they can't be, uh, like, using classified I, information in order to undermine a political party or whatever, but you, I think you just... Do you not like Flint? I can not
3: I, kumb- I can't quite kumbaya you here. I mean, I, it, it's... I think, um, you know, first of all, there's a bunch of other things going on here, including, you know, the... the that a lot of that stuff shouldn't have been recorded in the first place. You and I can agree on that, right? You know, the, the yeah. idea that there were that there's that those nets are too broad and that they are too uh, you know, they are too likely to pick up stuff that, that nobody should have records of in the first place because it was a private interaction. Um, so certainly that piece of it. Um, and I think you know there's there's classified information and then there's classified information and it, we increasingly classify so much information that. I worry that this debate about, oh, well, we have to be particularly cautious around classified information, but what the president had for breakfast is classified gets us into sort of messier territory in terms of the the civil liberties implications for these questions. There's a point where
2: it's. I do feel like if if Hillary Clinton had made a phone call to a Russian interlocutor and someone in the NSA or somebody at the FBI had had given. the content of that phone call, which could only come through uh, a, a secure, classified, had given that content out to the media, that, that one, I don't think they would have run the story. That's a whole separate issue. But also, I that think, I they, think that true. there would be plenty of people who, yeah, I think, and I think okay, so we can agree with that. And I think there would be people who would be apoplectic if that made its way into the news cycle. So. I mean, look what they did with the Podesta and the Russian hacker. All of a sudden, that's like the Republicans' problem. I mean, under the assumption that there's some... Anyway, now we're getting. See, Kath, I'm having so much fun. We're, we've, we literally run up against the, the a hard, hard out here. Um, Reason.com for your next piece. Reason Magazine, where do people go to subscribe, by the way?
3: Reason.com. Come on over. Click on the subscribe link.
2: Look at that, everybody. Synergy. All right, Katherine Manguward, great to have you. Thanks for uh, mixing up today. We appreciate it. Thank you. And our uh, team, will be right back. Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton, dispensing
0: the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
2: I repeat a question that I've asked you before, given what's happening with the leaks and the Flynn resignation and everything else. Trump tweeted out, the real story here is why are there so many illegal leaks coming out of Washington? Will these leaks be happening as ideal on North Korea, etc.? And a lot of people thought that that was, oh, you know, ha ha ha, Trump's so dumb. When I say people, I mean journalists. Uh, Why is that the case? If Trump has a conversation where, you know, if Trump has a conversation where he is uh, in the midst of a discussion with a foreign entity and someone in the U.S. government has access to that conversation and it will make Trump look bad for some reason or another. Um, Why can't they leak that? Then, Under the standard that we're seeing right now, which is, well, Flynn uh, Flynn was lying, so Flynn looks bad, let's leak this. Why couldn't they leak information about a Trump phone call with a foreign head of state? And you might say, oh, well, that would happen. I mean, why would it ha- happen over a secure line? The assumption, if you're dealing with North Korea, the assumption is, well, they're recording it, right? So, I mean, everyone, whether it's an open line or a closed, it doesn't really matter. The assumption would be that they'd be recording it, I would think. Uh, so, you know, you might as well just call them. And, and uh, you know, there's <laughs> the, the likelihood, I think, of anybody drawing a r- real um, conclusion from this that there's nothing that they can do against the Trump administration that crosses the line when it comes to releasing classified information. I think that's very real. I think that's already there, um, and that's that's a, a dangerous precedent to set. And we've already it's already been set. And keep in mind that the the tr- the malfeasance that they exposed with Flynn wasn't really malfeasance. It was pretty minor as all these things go. Um, All right, team, I'll be on uh, American Now Radio tonight. So go to AmericanHourRadio.com slash Buck Sexton, 6 to 9 Eastern. Until then, shields high.
0: You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.